Well, it's wonderful to have you with us this morning, particularly if you're visiting with us. Um, we do really extend a warm welcome and a, and a happy Easter to you. I personally believe that um, Easter Sunday today is actually the pinnacle of um, the church calendar. Um, while we tend in the church primarily place an emphasis on Christmas, I actually believe that today is, is, the, is the highlight of, um, of the Christian church's calendar in terms of... Um, of remembering uh, not a, a crucified Christ, as wonderful as the death of Jesus is, but we remember and bring to the forefront of, uh, of our thinking the fact that Jesus has, uh, has risen, he's conquered the grave, and that, that inspires within us hope that in our dark moments and times of despair and challenge, which each one of us face in various ways, that the resurrection reminds us that... Um, that there is, there is hope beyond death, that there is something that we can anticipate and expect beyond those times in our lives where we, we do face uh, struggle and challenge. Uh, during the week, I had a, a wonderful opportunity to talk with a couple of people who ha- happen to be uh, uh, very intelligent and very articulate. And um, I, 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 I always love it when I have an opportunity to engage with people who who think and who, who challenge me and extend me. And uh, we were talking about things of faith. And invariably, the number one question that, that, that gets, gets asked, and which uh, seems to be on, on many people's radar, is the whole gay thing and the gay marriage thing. And we, we talked about that quite in depth. It was a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, discussion. And uh, towards the end of our, of our chat, um, the question was, was raised about uh, various religions and their perspective, or at least one, per, one, of these, uh, one of the members of this couple I was talking to, at least one of their perspectives was that all roads ultimately lead to God, that um, all religions, um, Hinduism, Judaism, and, uh, and, and Islam, um, we talked about Buddhism, which is really not a religion, it's more of a, a philosophy or a worldview, and humanism, um, which again is not so much a religion in that it's, it's, a, it's a worldview. But in reality, all of those uh, religious or, uh, or philosoph- philosophical approaches to life are ultimately leading us to the same place and to the same God. And they asked my opinion on, on that. Um, and what I, they wanted to know what I thought, and, and that was really, uh, it's really good to be put on the spot. And I personally believe uh, that within um, all worldviews and all religions, there is something um, redemptive and something of value to be gained and gleaned from, from, from all cultures and from, from all trains of thoughts. And um, uh, that's my, my conviction, that, that there are things as Christians that we can learn from people who see the world and perhaps relate to God in different ways that, that, that we do. However, I, I retain the conviction that, um, that Christianity is wonderfully unique and wonderfully distinct and that not all roads lead to God and that not all religions or worldviews are equal and the same. And it's, it's, I guess the challenge for me is when I'm faced uh, with those types of situations is to communicate um, uh, my belief and my conviction in, in ways that don't make Christianity 
appear to be superior and, and being condescending uh, towards others who have different perspectives and actually to respect and value other people's uh, slant on life, even when it's, it's diametrically opposed to our own. And I think, that's, I think that's a healthy, I think that's a gracious, I think that's a godlike approach to people that see things differently. And so I love being put on the spot like that. And so uh, I, I, I had a short period of time just to relate to them what I felt were the unique distinctives about the Christian faith that, that sets Christianity apart from, from other worldviews and world, world religions. And I'm going to share with you what those things were. And one thing that I didn't have an opportunity to share with them, which I'll share with you at the end, that I think makes Christianity so wonderfully unique. The first thing that I, that I shared with this couple that I believe makes Christianity so different to uh, world, other world religions, particularly uh, Judaism and uh, um, Islam, is the Christian view of God. That is, that God, throughout the Christian church, is viewed as being Trinitarian in nature. That God is a God is one, and yet in God's oneness, God is a community of beings. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And they together form a social network, a social community. Whereas Islam and Judaism in particular, in terms of world religions, are actually what are called monotheistic. They believe in one essential being or one God. We believe that ourselves as Christians. However, there is a distinctive uh, Christian belief in that in God's oneness, God is also three, Father, Son, and Spirit. And the wonderful thing that that, that, that core belief about the nature and character of God, of God being Trinitarian, of God being social, it means that God is, at the core of God's being, God is relational. God, God is relational. God wants to communicate. God wants to uh, share his life or share their life with us, which is so uh, distinct from, from um, as I say, particularly from Judaism and from, from Islam, in which God is traditionally presented by, by those particular faiths as God being somewhat aloof, or separate from, or un, un, although God is knowable, there is a, a strong sense in which God is also very unknowable because of that aloofness. And yet the great thing about the Trinitarian view of God is that God is self-disclosing. God wants, as a, as a relational social being, God wants to make himself or themselves, and I struggle to use the term themselves because it sounds like we worship three gods, we don't, but you understand where I'm coming from. And so this, this aspect of the Trinitarian nature of God makes Christianity quite unique and quite distinct from, from other, other faiths. The other thing, the second thing that I very quickly was able to share uh, with this couple about what differentiates Christianity from, from other worldviews is the fact of the incarnation. 
And the incarnation is what we celebrate at Christmas time within the church. It's where God took on human flesh. God became like us. God uh, moved in humility towards humanity and, and became as we are. And I find that absolutely mind-blowing. That the God, the, the creator of this universe, actually stepped down. And, and, and the, uh, the message translation of the Bible says that, that, that Jesus took on flesh and he moved into the neighborhood. In order to be able to identify with us. And again, other uh, religions, if, if, if there is an acknowledgement of a supreme being, uh, God is so often uh, portrayed as being aloof and being distant and unknowable or difficult um, to uh, wrap your head around. But what the incarnation does for us is the incarnation makes Christianity so unique in the sense that God came and visited this planet and became a, 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 a working or livable, observable model of the kind of attitudes that God has towards humanity. And we see in the face of Christ in, his, in, in the incarnation, essentially what I see in Christ in the incarnation is a God that is good. Which again is sometimes so different to how other religious traditions tend to portray God. Then the third thing that I shared with, um, uh, with this couple was that the thing that sets Christianity apart is that the incarnate second member of the Trinity, Jesus, worked at the cross for our redemption. And so God within Christianity is a redemptive God. That at the cross, Christ bore our sin in order to reconcile us and restore us to himself. And that is so profound. That is so outside the box for, uh, in comparison with other, uh, uh, other religious traditions. That, that God took the initiative in order to deal with our, with our brokenness and with the, 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 the estrangement that humanity has from God. God took the initiative. God stepped down. God paid the price. God made the way for us to be reconciled to deity. Whereas if you look at, um, again, other worldviews that hold to the view of a supreme being, the view is that humanity has to make, through self-effort, their way to God and, and redeem themselves. And so there is this diametrically opposing um, approach to how, 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 how God and humanity are reconciled when it comes to Christianity and other faiths. So within Judaism and within Islam, that, those faiths are built very much, and so uh, uh, Buddhism as well, uh, although Buddhism, as I said earlier, is, is, is not a religion. 
But what it, what, what it is, what those faiths or worldviews are so focused on is self-effort and discipline. If you, if you discipline yourself enough, and um, if you develop self-mastery, then uh, and you do enough good things, there is a sense in which you move closer to God. Whereas the message of, of redemption or of reconciliation is that God has done everything in order for that to occur. For that closeness to exist, God is taking the initiative. God has made the step. And the only thing that we are required to do in response to that is to say, thank you. Um, Hinduism is really interesting because within Hinduism, the, 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 the thought behind reincarnation is this. Give me enough opportunities and I will, uh, at life. Give me enough shots at life and I will ultimately atone for my own sin. I may fail in this life and the next life and the life after that, but just give me enough shots at this thing called life and I will finally work my way or earn my way to God. And again, I just find this thing of Christianity so so different is so so differentiated from the typical religious approach to life. And the fourth unique feature that I was able to share with this couple was that that Christianity very much makes transformation a possibility or or a reality. And I love the transformative nature of what the gospel um, holds out. And we talked about that last week when we sort of took a fresh look or a new look at the whole subject of holiness and how how we become a, a people that are conformed to the image and likeness of Christ. Again, within uh, uh, other world religious, tra- other world, uh, tra- uh, religious traditions, it's so much f- focused around self-effort, self-discipline, self-mastery, by which um, we experience a transformation in terms of our character. Whereas what we're introduced to uh, within Christianity is the fact that God comes in power. God comes and sits in the center of our life and begins from the inside out to work a work by which um, we are empowered to be a different kind of people. It's not us gritting our teeth and through determined effort becoming better people. But what, what, what is offered in Christianity is a life force that comes into us by the Holy Spirit that brings about a transformational process. And again, that is so radically different to the various other alternatives that are offered to us. And I love in the Bible how my favorite life transformation in the bio, a story in the Bible is a story, uh, we don't know the guy's name, but he has this wonderful title and he's called the Garrison Demoniac. Can you imagine that's, your, that's what you're known as, the Garrison Demoniac. Garrison was uh, the region where he was from and he was uh, denoted by um, the fact that this, this, this man had some, some problems, um, some severe problems. And yet, when I read that story, I see the transforming 
work, the transforming power of Jesus at work in a human being's life that takes them from being um, extremely dysfunctional. I loved your poem, Nat, where you talk about, was it the chemically imbalanced? You know, that God takes those of us who are so dysfunctional and so, you know, just n- not, not there and, and works a work that is so transformative in nature. And I love, you know, I love hearing people's stories about how Jesus has worked in their life to set them free. And it's not that, that, that life transformation doesn't occur in other faiths or in other worldviews. But again, it's so dependent or reliant upon a person's will or resolve. Whereas within Christianity, the good news is Jesus, by his spirit, works a work within us. And that blows my mind. And I find that so refreshingly and wonderfully unique and different. I didn't have time, and I actually, to be quite honest, I didn't, um, I didn't thoroughly uh, think this, have the opportunity to think it through. But if I had have had the time, this is the fifth thing that I would have shared with this couple that makes Christianity, in my mind, so uh, so uniquely and gloriously different um, to other, other, uh, other forms of, um, of worldviews and religions. And that is this, is, is Christianity actually invites scrutiny. It welcomes doubters and offers tangible experience. So Christianity invites scrutiny, it welcomes doubters, and offers, what did I say, tangible experience, thank you, (laughs) offers tangible experience. You know, Christianity is actually built on a single, uh, upon a single uh, uh, single premise, and if that premise can be proven to be, to be untrue, that then, then it undermines the entire story. And the, and the single premise upon which Christianity is built upon is this, is that Jesus, who claimed to be a member of, of, of the Trinity, who became incarnate, that is, took on human flesh and lived in this world and demonstrated transformational power through which human beings could be uh, changed and healed and restored and who ultimately gave his life as a, sacrif- as a redeeming sacrifice on the cross, that this Jesus, who was once dead, was actually ultimately raised from the dead and was, was resurrected. And Christianity is built on the, pre- on the single premise that Jesus who died rose from the dead. And as I said, if that premise can be proven wrong, then the entire story is a sham. If you can discard or discredit the resurrection, then Christianity is completely and totally untrue. Because Christianity stands and falls on the conviction 
that the crucified Christ rose from the dead. And what Christianity does is says, come and scrutinize this and check it out for yourself. Because if you can prove it to be untrue, then it's all untrue, it's all a sham, it's all a lie, and it doesn't work. However, if it is true, then it must be true in its entirety. And it must be embraced in its entirety. Paul the Apostle in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 writes that if the resurrection didn't occur, there is actually no veracity to our faith. That is um, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, and it's, and it's, it's the key, key chapter in, in, in the Bible in regards, to, in regards to the resurrection. And Paul says, you know, if, if the resurrection didn't happen or if it's untrue, then there are, there are certain consequences. And one of them is that as, as Christians, we have believed in vain. Then he goes on to, on to say that um, we are despicable liars. And thirdly, if, uh, if, if the resurrection did not occur, then we are ultimately to be pitied. That is, we have so sunk our faith into something that didn't occur that people should look upon us and feel so, so sorry for us. Without the resurrection, there is no substance to Christianity whatsoever. And Christianity leaves itself as, as, a, as a faith, as, as a religious tradition, hanging on one simple fact. That Christ, the Christ who died, rose from the dead. And to disprove that fact is to cause the whole stack of cards to come tumbling down. Michael Green, um, who is a, a, uh, from memory, an Anglican um, theologian, talking about how the resurrection is, is, is a central fact of the Christian faith. He writes this, he says, Christianity does not hold the resurrection to be one among many tenets of belief. Without belief in the resurrection, there would be no Christianity at all. The Christian church would never have begun. The Jesus movement would have fizzled out like a damp squib with his execution. Christianity stands or falls with the truth of the resurrection. Once disprove it, and you have disposed of Christianity. And so... For Michael Green and for myself and for perhaps some of you here, the empty tomb is actually the touchstone of Christianity. And it invites and it deserves the, the closest possible scrutiny. And what I find really interesting, in fact what I find fascinating, is that the first followers of Jesus were not expecting the resurrection in fact, they dismissed it outright. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Mark chapter 16? And um, we'll just kind of, we'll, we'll look at one verse and um, I won't take too long this morning. 
But I just found this quite amazing that the initial followers of Jesus were totally unconvinced of the resurrection. If I was to ask you today, do you have to believe in the resurrection to be a Christian? I think most of us would say, yes. What it turns out in the Bible is that to begin with, the first believers didn't. They doubted. Not that they stayed in a place of doubt, but they initially doubted the resurrection. So in, 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 in Mark 16 verse 1, it says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. So what had happened is after the, after the death and crucifixion of Christ, uh, Jesus was laid in a tomb and because of, uh, because of um, the, 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 the Sabbath regulations, they could only partially embalm the body of Christ, the dead body of Christ. And so what happens is these three ladies, um, after the, the, the Sabbath regulations are concluded, they come to the tomb where Jesus is laid. Um, to complete the embalming work that they had begun. So they go to the tomb not anticipating to find a risen Christ, but they go to the tomb to complete a job that had been unfinished. They went there to embalm the dead body of Jesus. And so we see these three followers of Christ going to the tomb with no anticipation that Jesus is alive. That's not their frame of reference. Are you with me? But when they arrive at the tomb, what they discover is that the tomb is empty. And each one of the gospel writers, it's very interesting, each one of the gospel writers agree that the disciples have no clue as to what is going on. And it says there in Mark chapter 16, verse 8, it says that uh, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. They were perplexed. So they, have a, 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 the, they go, to the, go to the empty, um, empty tomb, they go in there, and uh, Jesus is not there, but they have this angelic encounter. But it's still not in their frame of reference or clearly within their frame of reference that the crucified Christ has risen. In John chapter 20 verse 2, Mary and we assume the other two ladies um, go and they find Peter and John. And they say to uh, Peter and John, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So even still after they've had um, uh, this kind of engagement with what is an angel, they still think that the body of Jesus has been removed from the tomb, quite probably either by the Romans or, or by the Jewish religious leaders of the day, and for some unknown reason have fled with it. 
Then in Luke chapter 24 and verse 11, Peter and John and the rest of the disciples, it says, they did not believe the woman because their words seemed like nonsense. They couldn't believe what uh, the two Marys had to say and Salome had to say because it just seemed so out there. It just seemed so ridiculous, a notion that... One, the body of Jesus was no longer in the tomb. Secondly, that there was a possibility that he may even have been raised from the dead because no one rises from the dead, especially after three days, not after being beaten and scourged, not after being crucified, not after hanging on the cross for six hours, not after having a sword put through your side, not after having 150 pounds of, 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 of embalmed spices placed on your body, not after being wrapped in a, uh, a, a suffocating burial cloth, not after being in a tomb for three days. Nobody in their right mind would believe that it was possible to survive that. And in Mark chapter 16 and verse 11, it says, When they heard that Jesus was alive, so they hear, the disciples hear that Jesus is alive, and you'd think they'd go, Yahoo! It's true. This is what they said. It's, it's, this is what it says. They did not believe it. They just could not get their head around the fact that Christ had risen. The people who knew and loved Jesus the most were the ones that had the greatest doubts about the validity of the resurrection. They could not and they did not believe it. Alfred Adesheim um, writes in a book which is considered to to be one of the, the finest books on the life of Christ. He writes this. The evidence leads us to this conclusion. The, he, the people who knew Jesus best and loved him the most had grave doubts on Sunday morning, did not expect a resurrection, and had to be convinced against their own will. What was it that finally convinced the disciples that Jesus, the crucified Christ, the dead Christ, had actually risen from the grave. What was it that convinced them? It was actually tangible experience. Because Jesus comes, comes to them, the one that they had watched die, the one that they had seen crucified. And he comes and he meets with them. And they see him and they touch him and they, they, they hear his voice. And against all their expectations, they are confronted with the glorious truth that Christ is indeed risen.
And what I love about Christianity, what I think sets Christianity apart from other religious thought and other worldviews is not only the Trinitarian nature of God, the unique feature of God being a social, a social uh, entity. It's not just the fact of the incarnation, that God stepped down and became one with us. And it's not just the fact that, that, that Christianity is unique in that, that Christ or God took the initiative in Christ to redeem us and to reconcile us to himself. And it's not just about the fact that when Jesus comes into our world that we are transformed by a, a supernatural power other than ourselves. It's the fact that Christianity invites scrutiny, welcomes those who doubt, and invites them to have tangible experience or tangible encounter. And the reason that the the disciples were able to overcome their profound unbelief is that Jesus said to them, come see, come and have a look. Put your finger in here. Come have a look at my hands and my feet. You can see where the nails have been. And come, he said to, to, to uh, Thomas, come. You can actually put your hand in my side where the sword was thrust. Go on, put your hand in there. Feel, touch, see, observe. That I who once were dead am now risen. I love the fact that Christianity and the church is founded on people that initially doubted and struggled to believe what we now know to be the most important of all beliefs. I love the fact that Christianity says to the world, come, scrutinize, Check out this truth about the resurrection because if you can prove that it's untrue, then it's all untrue. Christianity invites, invites skepticism. It invites investigation. It encourages the doubters to come and, and have a look and to, if as it were, thrust their hand into the side of Jesus and have a tangible experience or encounter with the living Christ. And while I respect and I value and I appreciate that uh, we live in a world where there are multitudes of worldviews and a diversity of religious perspectives on the character and nature of God, I am overwhelmed. intellectually stimulated and emotionally satisfied by the essence of what Christianity is all about. I honour and I respect and appreciate there are other people that hold to other views, but I just feel so overwhelmed by the wonder and the uniqueness and the distinctive of Christianity, which finds its ultimate distinctive 
in the resurrection of Christ. Amen. Let's just pray for a moment. I'm going to invite Michael to come and just conclude our service this morning with a benediction before we enjoy morning tea. Does anybody have any questions or comments they'd like to make? We kind of, if you're new here, we're, we're, we're open to um, dialogue and, and um, even challenge, as long as it's um, not too hard. <laughs> And I've got time to jump on Wikipedia <laughs> and just check. <laughs> any, any, any comments or thoughts, contributions? Okay, well, let's pray. Uh, Father, we are, are so incredibly humbled um, by the faith that we or some of us in this room have stepped into, and we're, we're, um, we feel so privileged to know you and to be your children. And we just uh, want to say this morning, we're, we're grateful for the fact that you've opened our eyes to see the glorious truth of the resurrection. Father, I... I would pray for others uh, that are in this room that um, are on the sceptical side uh, in the place of doubt and they're wondering. And I just want to thank you, God, that you don't reject, but you welcome. You welcome their, their challenge. You're, you're at rest with their unbelief. And uh, I just want to thank you that your invitation goes out there, out to them to come and to look and to check and to see. So today we, we celebrate and honour you, Lord Jesus, your triumph from the grave. We believe it's true. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand, come Michael, and just um, conclude our service this morning. Um, actually, it might be nice too to just maybe finish on a song after the benediction. Could we do that, guys? Is that, is that cool? Not, not the stones being rolled away. <laughs> that, was a, that was a throwback, that one. <laughs> there was a time, I was in church one time, and our, and our, and our song leader, um, I don't know, you can do the first, actually I love the song that you wrote, the third song you wrote. Co-wrote, Co-wrote sorry. I love that song. Um, well, our church one Sunday morning, um, our song leader sang a song called Joy is the Flag Flown High from the Castle of My Heart. Has anybody been around long enough to remember that one? I was so shocked. I was so overcome by the fact that we would be living in the 20th century and still kind of, there were no other songs that could be found other than that that we had to sing that I actually took my shirt off. Because normally when you sing that song, well, when I, was a, when I was a young lad and we used to sing that song, you used to pull out your dirty handkerchief and you used to joy the flag flying high from the castle of my heart and you'd, you'd wave your, your handkerchief around. I didn't have a handkerchief, so I decided, strip, stripped off, took my shirt off and waved my shirt, bearing my gorgeous torso for the world to see. So don't ever do that song. Uh, not unless you want to see... Um, 
So is that how Louise fell for you? Is That's that how Louise fell for me in that moment in time. Uh, does it look like it? <laughs> yeah, so um, thanks guys. Finish with the benediction and the song, great. That was uh, a great message, Steve, and, and a very appropriate message for Easter. And um, I just invite you that Easter is a very special occasion on the Christian calendar and it has a great significance uh, worldwide, but it's not just something that's a once-of-year event in our lives. It's a, a day-to-day thing. And this morning, if, if you have any questions about what Steve was talking about, about the relationship that we have with God, then I invite you that uh, come and ask Steve or myself or some of the others, you know, what is the meaning of this relationship and how can we have that relationship. So if you have those questions this morning, I do invite you uh, to to ask those questions and uh, we may have the answer for you. The benediction this morning is, as Christ burst forth from the tomb, may new life burst forth from us and show itself in acts of love and healing to a hurting world and may the same Christ who lives forever and is the source of our new life keep your hearts rejoicing and grant you peace this day and always and everybody said Amen